Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC and the FCBC family globally, we live, we love, and we serve. Amen. I want today to look at some scriptures this month. And those of you who've been a part of the family for some time now, you know that for the first month of the new year, we, we preach or give messages that are, that are uh, connected to our theme. And our theme again this year is I Am Resilient. And for the month of January, I want to talk about resiliency. And you'll see a pattern this month. It will be resilient in the face of, and each week, what comes after of will be what shapes us in that moment. Resilient in the face of. And so if you would, I want to lift two verses from two different books in the Old Testament the first one being 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. And then I want to look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. I'm reading both from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. And I hope you feel alive. I mean, think about it. This is the first day, the first Sunday, rather, of the new year. We ought to thank God. 2020, well, we know what 2020 was like. And we don't fully know what 2020 will be, how it will unfold. But I know this, in the midst of whatever may come this year, that we already have more than enough reasons to rejoice. More than enough reasons to rejoice. And so let us begin 1 Samuel 15 and 17. And here are the words recorded in that verse. Samuel said, and he's speaking to King Saul, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And then 2 Samuel 12 and 7, Nathan the prophet is speaking to King David. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. Amen. Let's, let's pray, family. God, we bless you and we honor you today, and we are so grateful, O oh God for how you give us moments like these where we can pause, reflect, 
and then experience the revelation that comes from and through your word. God, I ask that you would help me to decrease so that you, O oh God, might increase so that we can hear your word of revelation to us. Open our hearts, O oh God. Open our minds, open our eyes, open our spirits, that we might be in a posture of receptivity. God, thank you. Thank you, God. There are so many things that we can thank you for, but God, today, we thank you for being mindful of us, for being mindful of us, for being mindful of us. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray. We say, amen. Amen. 1 Samuel 15 and 17, here's how it reads. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? 2 Samuel 12 and 7 reads like this. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, anointed you king over Israel and rescued you from the hand of Saul. King James Version, that first line of 2 Samuel 12 and 7, Nathan tells David, thou art the man. This morning, I want to preach a little something different. This morning, I want to talk about resilient in the face of self-confrontation, resilient in the face of self-confrontation. The Bible is filled with so many characters and persons, persons whom God chooses, often chosen to do great things for God that has great and large impact. From Genesis on through the Old Testament, crossing over to the New Testament and on through the book of Revelation, the Bible again is filled with persons that God calls to do great things that have great impact. What amazes me is not that God gets great things done. For although our language is limiting and what we say about God is off, often like grasping for straws in the face of mystery, so even when we say great things, the idea of great is still limiting to God. So that what strikes me is not that God does great things. What often strikes me, at times even baffles me, but most of all 
humbles me is who God uses to get great things done. The candidates whom God uses for greatness probably would not qualify for greatness in our standards. Because often when we think of great people who've done great things, we look at great people and we connect them to the accomplishments of those great people or even the possessions of those great people. But in Scripture, greatness is not based on accomplishments or even possessions, but greatness is based on connection. The connection that these people have with the source of all, the divine. And not only the connection, but what ought to give us a moment to pause and fill the moment of pause with some level of humility is that God gets great things done through divine connections with people who ain't so great. God uses us in all of our feebleness and frailty in all of our fragileness and inconsistencies to still accomplish great things, not because of our frailty and fragileness, but in spite of it. That ought to give you a moment of pause right there because there are times we often think that greatness comes from people we deem as great, not realizing that oftentimes in this journey with God, our greatness emerges and arrives in connection to the divine and in spite of what we present God with among and from ourselves. I think of two people in particular, two people that are the heart of the scriptures I read today. Saul, who would be the first king of Israel, and David, who would succeed him. Although very different men, they still in some ways had some similarities that are worth paying attention to. King Saul, with all of his flaws and frailties, does do great things. He wins many battles. In fact, Israel enjoys peace and also prosperity under King Saul. He was, in no stretch of the imagination, a great leader. David, whom we know as King David, a man after God's own heart, begins his journey with God. Well, rather, the, the edge of his story with God begins in a valiant fight in which David, the young shepherd boy, anointed shepherd boy, defeats the greatest giant of his day, Goliath, and then goes on to have many more victories. He goes from being the giant slayer to the general of the armies of Israel and then on to be king. King Saul and King David. But something happened to both of these men. Something that is not strange for most of us. It is the old adage, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That when people crave power, they then want more power. 
Because no one is satisfied with power. They must get all. And then even when they get what they perceive as all, they still want more. King Saul was the first anointed king of Israel. Again, many battles. He had a sovereignty that most did not enjoy. In fact, if you know King Saul's story, how he was reluctant to be king, he did not want to be anointed king. If you know that story, there's a portion in his story. Go back and read it when you get a chance. When after Samuel tells him that he will be king, he says something to Saul that no one else in Scripture ever heard. And you might have heard me say this before, but I need to say it again for those who've never heard this. There's a line in that introductory story to Saul where after Samuel anoints him and tells him the signs that he would truly be king. Hear the words. Do whatever you choose and God will be with you. Think about those words. Here is the first king, untested, untried unfamiliar with the role, the first. And here he hears, do whatever you choose and God will be with you. It doesn't say so much about Saul, but it says everything about God. A God who doesn't give directive, a God who doesn't orchestrate the path, a God in this instance who doesn't say do A, B, C, or D, a God who trusts enough and is sovereign enough and is clear enough about who God is that he doesn't mind one of his creations operating in a newfound power. Do whatever you choose. Oh, God, and God will be with you. But then I realize there are limits. Do whatever you choose with the anointing I've given. And the anointing I've given was an intentional, directed anointing. He was anointed to be king. Oh, I hope you get this this morning. If you read the trajectory of Saul's story, you see the battles won, the strength, the power. But there was this one occasion when the Philistine army had ramped up for battle and by the thousands, the story says that the, the Philistine army was so numerous, it was like the sand that you see on the shore. They were so many and Israel was so outnumbered, watch this, that Saul became fearful. Mind you, this is King Saul, anointed king with many victories, with much power and with a permissiveness that no one else had ever received in Scripture. And in the face of, of a familiar foe who had newfound resources, oh. He got afraid, so afraid, it says, because he saw his people fleeing from the Philistines. He saw Israelites running back across the Jordan, back to the east side where God had delivered them from years, years, years before. And, and in the midst of the fear of his people and his own panic, 
The prophet Samuel, who had anointed him, had sent message to him. Don't fight. Don't stir up anything until I come on the seventh day and I make the offering of sacrifice. Then we can go to war because there would be no warfare until an offering was rendered up to God. It was as if they understood that we cannot fight until God blesses not the victory, but blesses us as we go into battle. Day one passed, day two passed, day three passed. And every day that passed, it seemed from Saul's perspective that the Philistines were growing in numbers and growing in strength and growing in resources. And as every day passed and Samuel did not show up, Saul became more fearful. Samuel's words were, I will be there. He gave him the day. But as the days passed, he became more fearful. That is Saul, that is. And right before Samuel showed up, out of fear, Saul decided he couldn't wait. And he overstepped his anointing. It said that he then made the sacrifice. The sacrifice that only the priest could make in preparation for battle. He thought that his anointing meant he could do anything, you know, almost that was under the guise of his anointing. The one thing that wasn't under the guise of his anointing, the one thing he wasn't anointed to be was to be priest. And he did what the priest should do. Scripture says that when he had finished making the sacrifice, Samuel showed up. Amazed that what Saul had done. And in that moment, Samuel realized that even though Saul was king, he had a problem that he had when he met him long ago. For when he met Saul in those days as he was searching for his father's possessions and told Saul that he would be king, Samuel had an insecurity. He said, why would God want me? I'm the least in my family. My family is from the least tribe of people. It is as if all through Saul's reign, in spite of the accomplishments and all he had done, there was an underlying reality of who he was that was steeped in his insecurity, low self-esteem, and the inability to see beyond his inadequacies. And even though he was king with many victories, those victories had seemingly covered up the insecurities, the inadequacies, the low self-esteem, until fear gripped him that was out of his control. And when fear became out of his control, all of a sudden, in the midst of that moment, the real Saul, who had been hidden by the battles, the victories and God's anointing rose to the surface. And when his insecurities, his low self-esteem and his feelings of inadequacy got the best of him, the truth of him came out. And then Samuel says in that verse, although you were small in your own eyes, God knew it and still made you king. But your eyes could never catch up with God's. And no matter how God saw you, you couldn't accept what God saw. And you tried to be big, but little got you. And you stepped out of line. And in that moment, God stripped the kingdom away from Saul. He didn't immediately have to vanquish the seat, but he no longer had the power. David. The little boy who would succeed Saul was the most unlikely candidate to be king you could imagine. 
For when people go looking for a king, who looks in the backyard among the sheep? You know David's story. Samuel comes after God had dismissed Saul, and they anoint David among all his brothers. He rises to prominence because he defeats the giant Goliath. He then becomes a general of the armies of God. After the period of running from Saul and on the run, he finally is crowned the king, the second king of Israel, full of power like his predecessor. And one day, you know that story where he was full of himself, himself. When he should have been with the army fighting, instead of fighting with the army as he had been doing, he stayed home. And one day he was out upon his balcony and saw across a woman bathing with Bathsheba. And King David, the shepherd boy in his daddy's backyard, the one who was overlooked, uncounted, marginalized, ostracized. Now, King David is full of his own power, his own pride, and his own ability. And he bypasses what he knows to be the right thing because power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he wants Bathsheba, the wife of another man, for himself. He wants her. Not only does he want her, he has her. He sleeps with her. He has her husband killed by putting her husband on the front line of the battle. And one day, just as Saul had encountered the prophet Samuel, this time David had an encounter with the prophet, prophet Nathan. Nathan tells the story of this man who had one little sheep and this other man who had tons of sheep. And when the company came, the man who had tons of sheep, instead of using one of his, he took the lamb, the little lamb of the man who only had one. He took the one that that man had. Even though the rich man had many, he took the one. And he told David this story of the man who had many, who took the one that belonged to the one man, and David was enraged. He said, who is this person? So he felt he is a king. He had power. I will deal with him. He said, Nathan, tell me who did this because I will deal with him. I'm the king. And then Nathan said to David, thou art the man. What you did to Uriah, the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, you took his wife. You didn't have to. It was your power. That corrupted you, David. Saul and David. Two different men, same position, but each had a similar encounter. Both escorted or initiated, one by Samuel, one by Nathan. They were both made to look at themselves. Saul had to look at himself for what he had become. David had to look at himself, himself for what he had become. Saul's insecurities were still at the forefront. David's maniacal and egoism that had gone reckless made him believe that he could have whatever he wanted just because he was king. Again, the little boy who was mad that he was always overlooked, who was always looking for moments to prove who he was, felt he had to take the wife of another man. Why? Because David's insecurity was still lurking. And if you read the story of David, you will see other moments where David uses his position to flex his power to prove he's king. What kind of king that has the crown and the anointing got to prove it. And David did just that. Anointed, but still want to show it. Crowned, but still want to flex it. 
And Nathan made David look at his self. Unexpected are the moments that force us to confront ourselves. We never know when those moments come. We never know when the time will happen when we no longer can engage in the charade and the self-deception. And all of a sudden, we must look at ourselves. In Saul and in David, both confronted after being caught up in who they were. 2020 was a year that many of us don't even want to speak of any longer. But I must say this, that for so many people I know, and even myself, 2020 became a year of reckoning in a different way. It forced many of us to look at ourselves, to face ourselves. And I don't want to operate and act as if everyone who had to face themselves carried through with the work. There's some people who had to face themselves and and they took the Saul approach. The Saul approach is that when Samuel confronted him and told him that God had stripped him of his power, or rather that the Spirit of God would not be with him, Samuel, after telling Saul this, notice Saul didn't even flinch. Saul made the assumption that because he was still wearing the crown and still on the throne, that he still had the power. But what power do you have when the presence departs? He continued to just operate. He continued to be filled with more hubris and more arrogance, even though he knew he had been stripped with the spirit and presence of God that was the key to his reign, the key to his kingdom, the key to his power. He had been stripped of it. He had been stripped to the bear. He had been made to see himself by the prophet Samuel. And in that moment of confrontation with himself, nothing changed. Nothing changed. He saw himself at the worst and then pretended like it wasn't real and then rather dipped back in to the illusion that he had created about who he was and lived in the illusion. But he lived in the illusion with no spirit of God, no presence of God, and other people recognize his power. But God knew he had left him a long time ago. Oh, my God. There have been some people in this past year who had that moment of confrontation, and when they faced it, were so terrified by what they saw, what you saw, that instead of seeking for ways to not get out, but to overcome, seeing how you can confront and be whole, seeing how you can can confront and be better, seeing how you could confront and grow. Instead, you saw it and you dip back into the illusion that you fabricated to prevent you from ever seeing yourself for real. How many people are content with a fabricated idea and ideal of who they think they are, knowing and if you just scratch the surface a little bit, you'll find out the truth 
You see, for some, we didn't have a Samuel. and We didn't have a Nathan. But we did have a COVID-19. That for some forced us to see ourselves in ways we could not imagine. It was as if our emotions and our spirit and our soul were laid bare in front of us. And we had to see ourselves devoid of the pretentiousness, devoid of the facade, devoid of the trappings of wealth, devoid of the security bought by our consumeristic instinct, devoid of all the things we think make us who we are in this world when they were all stripped bare because money could not help you escape COVID. Your possessions could not help you escape COVID. No matter where you live, you could not escape COVID. There was nothing that you used to determine who you are and that helped you get away from the virus that ran roughshod over this world and you had to look at yourself but the tragedy is that some of us when we looked at ourselves instead of trying to figure out how can I get better and what can I do to be whole again and what can I do to be to mend the portions of myself that have been fragmented because of my own woundedness some of us simply fell back into the illusion acting as though there was nothing we saw that scared us and what scared us was us. Or some of us made the David move when confronted with who we really were, stripped bare of all the pretentiousness and the ideas and ideals of who we would like to be. The hubris fell off. The acting stopped. The performance ended and the reckoning began. And we had to learn to build ourselves up without the garments of pretense. And we did it with contrition. And before we started building ourselves up with contrition, some of us said, God, forgive me. You read Psalm 51 when you get a chance. It is a psalm that David wrote after Nathan had identified him as the man. And David recognized that what he had done was not a sin against Uriah or a sin against Bathsheba. It was against God. The God who had gifted him and also created him when he lost a sense of who he is, he dishonored who God is. Do you understand that when you bathe yourself in the facades that are fabricated by your wounded and reckless ego, that you don't do yourself a disservice? You do the God of your creation a disservice. It's as if you're looking at God and saying to God, I'm not enough. I'm not enough, God. I need more to be. I need more to exist. David asked for forgiveness and his heart was filled with contrition and he wanted to be changed and turned around and he really realized that the only way that happens is by what you do. 
There will always be moments where we are forced to look at ourselves, to confront ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, there may be multiple options for some of us, but the truth is there are really just two options. Either you see you and deepen your hiding, or you see you and want to elevate your consciousness and awareness. Because to live in the reality of who you are on the deepest level is to connect with the God who created you. But to live in the illusion of who you are not is to distance yourself from the origins of your being. Here's what I learned a long time ago. Your greatest obstacle and your greatest strength stare back at you in the mirror every day. Your greatest obstacle and your greatest strength stare back at you in the mirror every day. That after you see yourself, and I know that for some of us, that moment of recognition can be painful. Your resilience doesn't show up when you go back into hiding or fall back into the illusion. Your resilience shows up when you can see yourself with all that you have sought to fabricate because you're afraid of seeing, all you sought to create because you didn't want to own you, all that you tried to make, all the stories you created to impress other people because you were not impressed by your own story, all the lies you told to impress people because you didn't think they could handle your truth. And then you realize in that moment, the most important lies you will ever tell are the lies you tell yourself. And when you do all that face, you see you. Resilience shows up when you can then forge forward to a place of wholeness, contentment, where you can be at peace with who you are. There is nothing more beautiful and profound than waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and genuinely, and beautifully, and deeply say, I like you. Not I love, because I'm sure some of you thought I was going to say that. Because you and I know there are people we love and don't like. But when you can look in the mirror, knowing your truth, Knowing the reality, your flaws, your fragility, your mistakes, your lows, you at your worst. When you know that and can still cultivate the strength and the power to say, I like you. Not because you simply live in the illusion, but because you are forging a path towards healing, restoration, and wholeness. I like you. You are not 
all the way where you need to be, but I want to encourage you. This is you speaking to you. This is me speaking to myself. I have made many mistakes, but I'm growing and learning, and I hope not to repeat, I like you. I may not be what other people desire me to be, but I'm walking with my soul attuned to the voice of the universe and God. I like you. There are many miles to go before I sleep, and there are many things to yet be done, but I thank God that I'm able to do this one act of resilience right now, and that is to be better than what I am, wiser than what I am, stronger than what I am, and it takes great strength to step out of the illusion, to step out of the lie, to step out of the house built by your insecurities and embrace who you are after seeing the real you. Give yourself credit for surviving yourself. Seeing yourself and still wanting to keep on going. You have been resilient in the face of self-confrontation. Celebrate that. Celebrate your disconnection and your distancing from the illusion that died so that new life in you, with you, and through you could be born. Come on, family, let's pray. God, we thank you today. And we honor you today, oh God. If we're honest, oh God, we, we love you for so many reasons. But today, oh God, we love you because you just keep on loving on us in spite of us. And God, we pray because there's so many of our brothers and sisters who love living in the illusion, who love living in the fabrications. And God, we do not pray as though we are better than others, but we pay, pray, oh God, that we all will grow in the same strength, that we grow tall enough, oh God, that one day we might fit into the crown you've placed above our heads. Maybe, oh God, the beginning of growth begins when we can see ourselves in our rawest form and not be dismayed, but be empowered to press on and live in the fullness of the life you've given us. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for daily showing our souls a more excellent way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God.
is in your name we pray. And we say, Amen. Amen. And Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the Internet at FCBCNYC.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.